Well, we haven't had a chance to meet yet. I'm John, one of the pastors here at North Park. And uh, as uh, Tom mentioned in his prayer, Phil is over in uh, the other side of the state for some family stuff this uh, weekend. So I get to start a brand new series with this summer in Psalms. And uh, this will take us through August. So uh, summer in the Psalms. As I was thinking about that, I wondered, uh, isn't summer that one week in Michigan a great time of the year? <laughs> Did it happen last week, this week, or next week? I'm not sure. But summer is a good time. Uh, I want to give you the permission to talk to the person next to you or uh, just around you, or you can just think for yourself. But what is your favorite part about summer? We've already gotten about a month of summer, technically, but what's your favorite part, or what's something you're looking forward to this summer? I'm going to give you about 30 to 45 seconds to share that with the person next to you. Sunshine. We don't have much of that this morning, but actually overcast isn't too bad for here. I know some of you are a little less breeze, but uh, sunshine we get to enjoy. Uh, kids, what's your favorite part about summer? No school. Teachers, what's your favorite part about summer? No school. Yeah. We get to go to the beach. Maybe you get to go swimming in Lake Michigan if it warms up enough, but just swimming in general. Uh, our kids just got back from camp. So a lot of times we look forward to specific kinds of camp, or just camping in general. I know some of you just take your camper and set it up somewhere and go back and forth for several weeks even. Uh, vacations, normally something we look forward to. I know we have a friend who has a cottage up on uh, Crystal Lake in the Beulah area, and they're kind enough to let us use that every year. And so our family looks forward to going there. Uh, just a different pace, different schedule. Even some of your workplaces have a summer, uh, summer hours. But just a different pace, different activities, different food. You know what your favorite food is. going to be watermelon, or next week we're going to be having our cookout. Think of that as the summer. And uh, this summer, I actually uh, get to go to a Beach Boys concert here, August 15th. So for Father's Day, my kids gave me tickets to go to a Beach Boys concert. And here at North Park, we've got our own summer music as well as we come to the Book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to be uh, reading through the book of Psalms. Hopefully you've already started with that, but on our website you can uh, go and get that reading plan. Now some of you might look at the reading plans about a, a psalm or two each day, and maybe that's too much for you. So just take a couple of those verses and read it. But we've started, and the goal was to read through uh, the book of Psalms for the summer. Uh, as Andy was just pointing out, over the next six weeks, seven weeks, we want to memorize Psalm 1. Uh, we're going to be preaching from Selected. Psalms. And then, as Ben mentioned, we've chosen some songs that specifically use the text of the psalm. A psalm is a song, but what we have recorded for us are just the lyrics. We don't know the tune that went with those psalms, but people have taken the psalms and put those to different tunes, and so we've chosen some of those. So we do want to spend the summer in the psalms. This morning, I just wanted to ask the question, why? Why would we spend the summer in 
in the Psalms. And I've come up with a couple of different reasons that I'd like to share with you that hopefully encourages you and helps you look forward to and get the most out of our time in the Psalms. The first is that it has benefited others. The Psalms have been a great benefit to others. It starts with biblical history, and you can see it in Christian history as well. Back in the temple, First Chronicles tells us that many of the Psalms that we have were sung by those when they went to worship at the temple, the Hebrew people. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, he was welcomed by a song. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was a song, a psalm that the people sang as Jesus entered. Early Christians, uh, we'll look at a little bit later, we're told to sing the psalms and the hymns and spiritual songs. It was a part of the early church. Benedict, who worked with uh, monks, encouraged his monks to make the reading and meditation of the psalms an important part of their everyday life. In medieval times, not everyone owned a Bible. Not everyone had access to a physical Bible. But if they did own any part of the Bible, it was most likely to be the Psalms. And the Psalms would have been the most familiar part of the Bible to Christians during medieval times. During the Reformation, Calvin and Luther, two of the men who led that Reformation back to a biblical truth, made the Psalms a primary part of public worship. And they had some different ideas about how to do that, but the Psalms were to be an important part of the public gathering. So Psalms has benefited many people before us. There's also individuals who have benefited from the Psalms. C.S. Lewis, who was a great Christian apologist, said that the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Jim George, who's a current pastor and author, says, If you need a guide for your ongoing relationship with God, read the Psalms. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian during the time of uh, Nazi Germany, when the church was persecuted, says, The more deeply we grow into the Psalms, the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and rich will our prayers become. The Psalms have benefited Many other people. Matt Redman, who is a songwriter, a singer, says, I love the intensity of the Psalms. No one ever sounds bored about God or life in the Psalms. And then just a couple more. Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor, he called the Psalms who were, uh, the majority of them were written by David. He called that David's treasury is how he talked about the Psalms. And he said this, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit, ever-growing pleasure. So common gratitude constrains or compels me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit with the prayer that it may induce them to search further for themselves. So Spurgeon is saying that the Psalms have benefited me so much. If I can just talk about that a little bit with you, hopefully that helps you investigate the Psalms for yourself. One last one, Tip Keller a pastor here in the United States says they are not just they, the Psalms, are not just a matchless primer of teaching, but they are a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. A medicine chest. They're like where you go and open up and try to find what medicine do I need to help me with what ails my heart. Tim Keller says that's the Psalms. And many of you would speak to the Psalms and how they benefited you in your life, or you have family members who can tell you about their favorite Psalm or how they have been encouraged 
or maybe other friends. And later, before we're done, I'm going to share with you a very personal way in which the Psalms have benefited me. So the first reason that we have chosen to spend some time this summer in the Psalms is that it's been very beneficial to others in their relationship with God and in dealing with everyday life and all of its struggles. The Psalms have been very helpful. There's a second reason. Uh, as a student ministry, we always joke that you could ask a question and in church, there's always one of three answers that are right. So pray, read your Bible, or go to church. So one of the answers when we say, why would we study the Psalms is the Bible. It's in the Bible, right? That's a pretty standard answer here at church. To us here at North Park, the Bible is a really big deal. We believe that God's message to us is found in the scriptures. That's how God talks to us. And it is a lie that changes us. So if God has chosen to put certain books or certain information in the Bible, then it's obvious to us that we should read it. Let's just read a couple of verses from Psalm 19 that remind us about how important God's word is. If you have your Bible and want to turn there, if you want to look it up, you're going to go to Psalm 19. Um, most Bibles, if you open it up about the middle, is the book of Psalms. You've got Job before that, then Psalms, then Proverbs. But Psalm 19 speaks very specifically about God's word. Why would we study God's word in general? Verse 7 of Psalm 19 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear and they give insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. And the laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. So there's different descriptions of God's word and the many benefits that it has for us. So how desirable, how much of our time and effort should we give to pursuing the reading, study, understanding, and putting into practice God's word? Look at verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. So it's so valuable we should be willing to trade in our bank account, the valuable things that we own. We should be willing to sacrifice those. Get hold of this word that's from God. Better than our favorite dessert. The best foods that we would enjoy. God's word should mean more to us than those. And they are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. So generally, if we ask, why would we study the Psalms? We say, well, it's a part of the Bible. It's specific information that God wanted us to have. So that we could know who he is. That we could know how to relate to him. And that we would be able to interpret this world around us, which doesn't always feel like God is in control. A world where we have an enemy, Satan, who does everything he can to discourage us and to destroy us. A world in which we have a culture who doesn't understand God in his ways and pushes and pulls us away from him. And so God chose to put the book of Psalms in the scriptures for us. And they have the ability to change our lives. So that's in general. That was our Sunday school answer, as we would say. And if you've been around North Park, you understand that we highly value the Bible, the Word of God that way. But what specifically is there in the Psalms that we should read? Well, let's talk about that for just a little bit. The Psalms are 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that were originally used in worship by Israel. 
But at some later point, someone took them and organized them and put them into the format that we have them now today in our Bibles in what we call the Book of Psalms. And there is a specific structure to it. They are put in an order. There is a design to it so that we can see a particular message that's there. And I want to encourage you in the notes, in the bulletin, there's a, a website that's listed. Um, the Bible Project is an outstanding resource. You can go and get lots of different information about the Bible and how to read it and understand it. But if you go to their overview, book overview section, there's a really good video that will give you an overview of the book of Psalms. But let me highlight just a couple of things. Uh, some facts about Psalms. David did write most of them. That's why Spurgeon called it David's treasury. He wrote about 73 of the 150 Psalms. Believe it or not, the next largest author is Anonymous. And I did some research. I can't find this guy anywhere. I don't know his first name, but his last name is Anonymous. So those of you that are still in ninth grade or going into ninth grade, you'll figure that out later with your parents will help you. But about 49 of them are Anonymous, and then there's some various other authors. It's the third longest book in the Bible, Psalms is. Only behind Jeremiah and Genesis. Psalm 117 is not only the shortest psalm, but it's the shortest chapter in the Bible, as it only has two verses. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, and it has 176 verses. Nearly half of the quotes in the New Testament that quote the Old Testament come from the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is the most quoted part of the Old Testament by Jesus himself. So the book of Psalms played a key role in the development of God's people. And even the New Testament, as it was written for us, a lot of it comes from the book of Psalms. And the key word in the book of Psalms is praise, where we see that word used 211 times. So let's talk just a little bit about that structure it would be a little easier to show you uh, if we had PowerPoint or a visual, but uh, I think you guys can follow along. This is the student part of today, so if you guys will uh, just stay with me for just a second. It is uh, the main structure. is printed for you uh, in the notes in the bulletin. But let's start at the back of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150. What you have is Psalm 146 through 150 are like the conclusion of the book of Psalms, and they are all Psalms about Praise. They all begin with the word hallelujah or praise the Lord, and they end with that. And so what the, whoever put the book of Psalms together did is took those five as kind of the exclamation point so we would know what the book of Psalms is about. It is about praising God. If you want to flip over there to Psalm 150, I'd like to read that one with you. Psalm 150. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works and praise His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with a blast of the ram's horns. That would have been an instrument. Praise Him with the lyre and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing and praise Him with the strings and flutes. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what do you think the point of the psalm is? Praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. Use your instruments and your songs to praise the Lord because he's worthy of it. And Psalm 146 through 150 all are very similar. 
to that. So that's the conclusion of the book. If we go and look at the main part of the book, there's actually five books divided into Psalms. And most of your Bibles will mark that out for you. It says book one. Book one is 3 through 41. Book two is 42 through 72. Book three, 73 to 89. Book four is 90 to 106. And then book five is 107 to 145. You say, well, how did they know where the book started and ended? You guys are good students. You ask good questions. At the end of each book, we have a clue. There's a doxology. There is a statement about praising God. There's actually an amen and amen. So let me look at uh, those with you if you want to follow along, or you can just listen to how similar they are. Verse 13, uh, chapter 41, the end of book 1 says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So that's the end of book 1. Book 2 Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19 says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Can you guess what the next two words are? Amen and amen. 89, verse 52. Praise the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then Psalm 106, verse 48 Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Okay, and then you have the fifth book, ends at 145, and 146 to 150 serve as that. Praise the Lord, and Amen. Okay, so there is a structure to it. There is a message out there, and the message is, God should be praised. Life can be hard and difficult, and we struggle to have faith, but God is to be praised. And those five books, many people believe, correspond to the first five books of Moses and walk through the history, the salvation history of Israel. We're not sure about that, but that could be. So we do know there are five books. Okay? Now what about the introduction? We go back to chapters 1 and 2, and Pastor Phil is going to be in chapter 1 next week. But chapter 1 focuses on the Torah or the law. And being obedient, faithful to it, then that person is blessed. And chapter 2 focuses on that promised Messiah and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. And blessed are those who are looking for that Messiah. So God should be praised. So God's people have in the Psalms a prayer book of sorts. Where God's people are trying to be faithful to God's word. And in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah, where you and I know that the Messiah came in Jesus. And now we are looking forward to his return for us. So that's kind of how you enter into the book of Psalms. Then there's five books that all end with the doxology. And then the last five chapters come back to that idea of praising God, who is worthy to be praised. So what you have is those two ideas from chapter 1 and 2 are woven throughout the book. Now... Some of you fell asleep while I was doing that. Some of you were like, wow, this is really cool. I never knew that. I'm going to do some more research and try to see that as I read it. Because there are some challenges to reading the Psalms. That kind of structure that I talked about. Which book is this and what's going on and how does that correspond? There's a historical context to many of the Psalms. Sometimes it gives us a little clue. Other times we don't really know what is going on. There's different kinds of psalms. There's an imprecatory psalm, which is 
really, when David prays that God would destroy his enemies and seems to just want vengeance, there's different kinds of imagery that's there for us. One of the things about the Psalms as wisdom literature is it gives really... I don't know who that was, but it's gone. It gives us uh, succinct statements. So sometimes we're reading a psalm and we read one or two lines or three or four, and it's about one topic, and the next verses jump to another topic. So that's both the strength and a difficulty for the psalm, is that we get truth in bursts of, uh, of a particular topic. So I want to encourage you today that God's word is more valuable than our money, our bank accounts, all the stuff that we own. It's more tasty, if you will, for our soul than the best food and desserts that we could eat. So it is worth us becoming students. Some of us that comes naturally and some of us it doesn't. But be a learner. Be a learner about the Word of God. Put the time into understanding how this book is put together. So I'd encourage you to do that with Psalms. Go to that Bible Project website or others, making sure that they're good resources and People with good doctrine are putting them together. Get some books or some commentaries. Get a good study Bible. And look into the Psalms and say, how can I better understand that? On the other hand, you don't have to be a scholar or really smart and intellectual to benefit from the book of Psalms. Tim Keller had said, it's a medicine chest for the heart and the best practical guide for the living. And one of the reasons is that these are songs. They are prayers. They are poems. So they're not meant just to be read and heard. They're to be recited. They're to be sung. They are to be put into our prayers, helping us express our needs and our wants and our desires to God. So it can be helpful to know some things. Which of the five books am I reading from? What kind of psalm is it? Is it a lament? A praise? Is it a song of ascent? Is it one of these imprecatory psalms? Is it a messianic psalm that is pointing to Jesus? It can help to know what kind of parallelism is employed. Is it synonymous or antithetical or synthetic? I just wanted to read that stuff so you guys think I was smart. But these are the kinds of things that go into pages and pages of scholarly study about the psalms. And it can be helpful to know some of those things. But you don't have to be a scholar to benefit from the Psalms. The beauty of poetry and music and song is that we can so easily be drawn into and connect with the emotions and the heart and the message that the author was putting into the song. Let me give you an example of that. A song that we love here in Michigan around Christmas time. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I have relatives who come from Florida, and they want me to be the, the, in control of the weather. The, the exact day they get here for Christmas, they want me to make sure it snows. Right? But people all over enjoy that song, don't they? How can people who live in Florida, where it might be 95, you're in shorts and the air conditioning's on, enjoy the Christmas season and be able to sing and connect with, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's because you don't have to know all the background and that that song actually comes from a movie and spoke about a very specific circumstance, but you know what we mean when we say, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. 
It's speaking about that time of year and family and celebration and everything that goes along with Christmas. The same is true of the Psalms. Should we be students and try to learn as much as we can about some of these things, the structure, the way it's written, the historical context? We should. But we don't have to be a student and a scholar and have all of this knowledge in order to connect with the Psalms. Because they are songs and poems, we connect easily with them because we're drawn into the emotion and the heart of the message. There was a Shakespearean actor who would travel around and he would recite some of the classics and he always ended by quoting Psalm 23. And when he was done, there was thunderous applause. They would stand and give him a standing ovation and applaud. And one night, one day as he traveled, he was doing a night performance. And when he came to the very end, a younger man in the audience raised his hand and asked if he could come up and recite the 23rd Psalm that night to close. And he, the actor was kind of taken back. And he's thinking, this young, inexperienced kid can't do what I can do. I'm a, a trained professional. I get a tremendous response, but okay, I'll let him do that. And so he kind of came up and, in a quiet voice, began to recite 23rd Psalm. Everybody was quiet and listening. And when he was done, there was no thunderous applause or standing ovation, but rather tears began to well up in the audience's eyes as they sat quietly. They had been impacted by this young man who simply quoted the 23rd Psalm. And so this really experienced actor was very confused and he talked to him. He said, I don't, I don't understand. I've trained for years and I've practiced this and I get all this applause, but how did they respond like that to you? And the young man simply said, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. And the book of Psalms is given to us not just so we can know the content and know all this technical information about the structure of it and the parallelisms that are there and the historical context. They were given to us so that we might know the shepherd. That they might help us express ourselves to God and that God might use those as we recite them and we sing them and we pray them to shape our hearts in our relationship with him. So why spend the summer in the Psalms? Well, it's benefited others. It is in the Bible. But the Psalms also teach us to praise God. And they are a medicine chest for the heart. They cover a range of circumstances. Sometimes younger people have a harder time with the Psalms because they haven't experienced much of life yet. And the older we are and the more we go through in experiencing life, the Psalms become more and more significant to us. Because they cover such a range of circumstances and emotions. And they're easily... We, we're easily drawn into them. But lastly, the Psalms remind us of the importance of music and the song in the life of God's people. They themselves were songs and poems, but they also remind us that God's people continue to write songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And together... Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs play a significant role in the life of the body of Christ and in our lives as individuals. Over in the book of Ephesians, Paul would say this, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
which is a general statement. If you're an alcoholic, it ruins your life in so many ways. But he wants us to understand something very specific about being controlled by alcohol. There's a contrast. He says, instead, be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that will be true of us as believers of Christ who have the Spirit living in us, when we are controlled by Him, verse 19 says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to everything, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A gift from God for those of us who know Jesus and when we follow the Spirit and we're controlled by Him, is music. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing among ourselves. We sing them individually, but we sing them in a unique way when we gather corporately, which is why we've sung already some songs together, and that's a significant part of our service. Songs aren't just fillers to hurry up and get to the message. That time together in singing those songs and worshiping God in that way is a gift from God. To help us. Now let me just say this. Not all music needs to be Christian. Quote unquote. One of the things that's happened here in our country. is Christian has become an adjective. And in response to a world who doesn't share our values sometimes. We have now Christian schools. And we have Christian music. We have Christian bookstores. We have Christian this and Christian that. And if we're not careful. What we do is we only isolate ourselves. So that we're only together as Christians. And yet God's world is so much bigger than that. So there can be music that is glorifying to God and okay for us to listen to that isn't necessarily Christian. On the other side of it, not all music that says it's Christian is good. Sometimes the people who are singing and making it don't have a relationship with God or they have a very poor one. Sometimes the lyrics aren't scriptural at all. Sometimes they push us in the wrong direction. So discernment is needed. But there is a unique place for music and songs in the life of God's people. And corporately, there is definitely a place for that. And sometimes it's taking the actual lyrics of the psalms and putting it to a tune. Or if you look at the hymnal of the church throughout the years, there are parts, different parts of the hymns or scripture that are in those songs. And I'm thankful for Ben and his... Uh, team that he works with and everyone who's a part of that in helping us to do that each Sunday, to sing songs that focus our attention on God and help us praise him and do teach us good doctrine and do help us with our everyday living. But there's also a place for music in our individual lives. No one's saying that you have to listen to Christian music when you're not at church, but it would make sense to listen or sing to God yourself. Again, one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is that you sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, and you make music. Now, some of us can't make music or sing very well, and that's why we listen and we let others help us. But really, it's just a a response to God, and there is a place individually for us to have that. And both corporately and individually, it makes sense that our diet of music, if you will, would be similar to the psalms, and there would be variety to it. It doesn't all have to be the same. It doesn't all have to sound the same. But we need a healthy diet. And some of it I will like personally, and some of it I won't. Some of it you'll like personally, 
and some of you won't. But when we come together as a church, the focus is on praising God and encouraging each other in our walk with God. And I trust that you know that the songs that are chosen are chosen for that reason. And let me just mention this before we move on, which is why we need Christians to continue to make good music, to write and sing and make new music. And so those of us that are older, we have to be careful that we don't think that God has already filled up the songbook for us or the music that we need and be opposed to anything that's new or that's different or that we don't like. One aspect of music is it helps us pass on our faith to the next generation. So if things only stay the way we want them and what we like, then our kids and our grandkids are going to have a hard time joining in with us and becoming part of our faith. On the other side, those uh, I almost said those of us who are younger. Those of you who are younger <laughs> need to have an appreciation for the heritage that comes to us through those songs and through that music and through the older people in our congregation. And so we have a healthy respect and a healthy balance when it comes to our corporate music and our individual music. Well, let me bring things to a close just by sharing a very personal way that the Psalms and Christian music has been a blessing in my life. And I do this in a similar way, only like Charles Spurgeon said. If I can share with you just a little bit of the ways that the Psalms and Christian music has been a help to me, I hope that that spurs you on to search out the Psalms for yourself, or it encourages us to take advantage of these next several weeks. Most of you know that back in January of 2020, my wife passed away from breast cancer. She had gone through some treatments for her cancer, and it went away, and then it came back, and when it came back, it spread. And in that time, we only had a few months, really, from the time that it came back until she passed away. And in those few months, we had to really come to grips with what her life ending meant for her and meant for me, meant for our family and friends. And many of you have been through that, and you understand exactly what I'm talking about. When it became obvious that she was going to pass away, we had a couple of nights there where we were talking, and one of those, part of what had impacted her is she would kind of go in and out of knowing what's going on at different times. And I remember that night I was just telling her that I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want her to go. And she began to quote Psalm 23. The yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for God is with me. And in that moment that was so difficult and hard to bear and hard to discuss, the Psalms gave her a way to express what she was thinking and feeling, and it gave me a way to hear what was on her heart and be encouraged that though we were walking through something that was incredibly difficult, it was going to be okay because God was there with me. And after she passed away, after the funeral, after different uh, things took place and you kind of settle into, okay, now I've got to get back to everyday life best I can. It was a very unique time because COVID was going on, and that's right when we were in the lockdown. And so I spent a lot of time by myself, and we had some duties to do on Sunday, 
related to the church service, but otherwise I had a lot of time on my own. And the hardest part of each day, and still right now is the most I struggle with, is how to end each day. Because each day ended by saying goodnight to her and giving her a kiss or talking about what was on the schedule for tomorrow and saying I love you. And I'm no longer able to do that. And I had great concern for my kids. Through it all, that was my greatest concern, that this kind of tragedy in the life of my kids might cause them to doubt God's goodness or his existence, that they would push God away rather than draw closer to him. And so I can just remember late at night trying to figure out how to go to sleep and what to do. And so I put together a playlist, and it was just called Carol. And I began to collect different songs that I didn't know what to say or what to pray I didn't know how I was going to make it. But I would just listen to those songs and sing along with them. And I just want to read the lyrics to one of those. It's called I Know by Big Daddy Weed. So if I ever start a music career, I might go with that. Big Daddy John. (laughs) His name is Mike Weaver, and he is kind of a larger guy, so he's Big Daddy Weed. But listen to the lyrics of this song. You'll hear a lot of similar ideas to what you read in the songs. It says, you don't answer all my questions, but you hear me when I speak. You don't keep my heart from breaking, but when it does, you weep with me. You're so close that I can feel you. When I've lost the words to pray, and though my eyes have never seen you, I've seen enough to say, I know that you are good, and I know that you are kind. I know that you are so much more than what I leave behind, and I know that I'm loved, and this next line really helped me a lot. I know that I am safe. That even in the fire to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know that you are good. I don't understand the sorrow, but you're calm within the storm. Sometimes the weight is overwhelming, but I don't carry it alone. You're still close when I can't feel you. I don't have to be afraid. And though my eyes have never seen you, I've seen enough to say that you are good. And then there's a bridge in there that became my favorite part. It says, on my darkest day, from my deepest pain, through it all, my heart will choose to sing your praise. God, I don't know how, but in my heart I'm choosing to praise you. So through it all, my heart will choose to sing your praise. On my darkest day, from my deepest pain, Through it all, my heart will choose to sing your praise on my darkest day. And I did that night after night after night, just crying and using the Psalms and using good Christian songs to express what I was feeling, to be encouraged by the truth of who God is, not knowing all the answers and not knowing how it all fit together, but knowing that God was good. So why spend the summer in the Psalms? Because we need them. And I trust that you will follow along in the reading plan and in the memorization. And if today you have some need, I trust that you can see that the Psalms can be that medicine chest for you. So that you can know the shepherd. That do point us to Jesus, who entered into our pain and our suffering and lived as a human being and then gave his life to be a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And now offers us salvation and life 
And we get his spirit that can live within us. That can help us as we walk through this in-between time, looking for the time when Jesus comes back. I just encourage you, he's good, he's kind, and you can trust him. Let's close in prayer. God, it shouldn't surprise us that there is variety in your word, that you give us your truth in different ways and through different people because you are not only one, but you are three. And in your unity, there is diversity. God, today I pray that you would encourage us that you are trustworthy, that you are there, that you are willing to help, and that you are worthy of our praise, whatever our circumstances and whatever our situation. God, bless our summer in the Psalms. Would you use it to shape us in our devotion to you so that we might be pleasing and honoring to you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.